Hey, welcome to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. I'm your host, Chris Desmond. This is a show where we make you better at doing hard things through getting out of your comfort zones. Today on the show, I am chatting with Hannah Morgan. Hannah is a young lady who has just finished swimming across the Fovo Strait. Well, when I say just, it was a few weeks ago, but reasonably recently. And she is doing it in support of changing the, the mental health landscape in New Zealand, which is, is pretty awesome. And for those of you that don't know, the Fovo Strait is just a massively treacherous piece of water here in New Zealand, which is, is very challenging to swim across. And you'll hear all about it in, in the conversation that Hannah and I have today. And we, we go through sort of pre- preparing for an event like this, getting through the dark patches, the importance of, of creating a support network to help you through this and the changes in the mental health landscape that Hannah would like to see in New Zealand. It's a really, it's a fascinating conversation and uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. Thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with Hannah and I today. Hannah, welcome to the Uncomfortable is OK podcast. Thanks for joining me today. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. My absolute pleasure. I like to start things off just by asking, where are you from? Where did you grow up? I'm originally from Invercargill, so I've spent most of my life there. I was born in London, so we um, shimmied over when I was about four, but I've spent my entire childhood in Invercargill, which is quite a small place, so um, (laughs) nothing really exciting and extraordinary there, but um, the people there are pretty cool. Yeah, awesome. And were there any formative experiences growing up that you can remember that have set you off on this path that you're on? I've always been a swimmer, so that was always a good thing. And I've been involved in a lot of environments that haven't really been so great for my mental health, which isn't necessarily um, a bad thing. It was a bad thing at the time, but now that I've progressed through in hindsight, it was a really good learning curve for me and it has directed me to where I am now. Mm, awesome. Are you open to talking a little bit about some of those environments and what sort of effect yeah. they had on your mental health? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Maybe the first one that you remember. Well, it was probably when I moved from my initial primary school to a different one. So I moved uh, leading into year five and it was quite a small school. It was very exclusive because it was quite hard to get into. And I arrived quite later on in like the education, I suppose. And um, there were 12 people in my year group and groups had already formed. And I was so used to having um, an inclusive group of friends at primary school. And then I went to this other school and I wasn't. And for an entire year, I was really, really unhappy. And I think mum saw that every time I came home from school. And um, at that time, I didn't know how to deal with it. And it was really hard. I always wanted to go back to my other school and I didn't really understand why they weren't including me it was quite hard at the time it was really really hard at the time I eventually learned how to deal with it and how to make friends that didn't have that kind of approach but it took me a long time yeah and and looking back on it they are are the biggest lessons that you've you've learned from that yeah um yeah and also learning how to just be okay with myself just be okay 
hanging out with myself and not having to be around people all the time because there was probably about six months where I would spend lunch times by myself, which was pretty hard. Yeah, and I think that's a, that is a challenging thing. We moved around quite a lot when I was growing up as well, so I'd um, frequently, well, not that frequently, but occasionally have to sort of integrate into a new school and groups had already formed and it was, like it is really challenging and I think you have probably done it slightly better than I did in terms of trying to fit in, whereas maybe I did, okay cool, how can I shape myself to fit into who these people want to hang out with rather than, okay cool, how can I be okay with being myself and then being myself people are going to come to come and want to hang out with me because of who I am which is a yeah it's a challenging thing you're not set up with these ways to cope you're not taught how to maneuver these kind of situations which I think is something that we do need to work on Mm, definitely what other big challenges have you had in regards to your mental health growing up Probably the most significant one was when I was about 16. I was at the height of my swimming career and I my shoulder blew out so I had to take time off and I was on my way back. But I was the oldest person in our swim squad in Southland really by four or five years. I was much, much older. I didn't have the companionship of anyone. I was training so often and all my friends were always socializing from school and then I couldn't do it because I was always swimming and the environment that I was in, in my swim bubble was really, really negative. Um, I kind of had this pressure to choose swimming or to choose school. That was a no-brainer for me because I was really, really determined to set myself up with a really good education. But having that decision put on me was really difficult because swimming was my life and it was something that I enjoyed so much, but things started to get really, really dark and negative and I would come home from training crying like three or four times a week. And that was really, really difficult. And my mum saw it and was starting to get quite, quite concerned, but I made the decision myself, it wasn't her, take a step back from swimming to make sure that I didn't go on a downward spiral because I was on the way there. Mm. You could see yourself at the time <coughs> spiraling downwards because that's often I, quite hard I to... Really, I was just really unhappy. I didn't engage with my friends anywhere near the way that I would usually. I would be really... I just wouldn't interact in class, which is something that I usually would do. Um, all those kind of behaviours that I was so accustomed to feeling and doing and people seeing, they just weren't happening. And I I really didn't like that. I didn't like people having a different perspective on what on the person who I actually am because of something that I could control or I could have an impact on. I couldn't really control the environment I was in. But, um, yeah, I decided to change for the benefit of me and for those around me because I didn't want them to be brought down by the feelings that I was having as well. Mm, that's really insightful for a 16 year old I'm barely getting that insightful now and I'm 35 I I had to learn pretty quickly Mm. particularly since I was so young I had this whole weight of my swim squad and all the up and coming swimmers on me so I had to be this leader and this role model for about 100 kids and that was just so much and I unfortunately I had to grow up a lot earlier than I should have Mm. stepping back from swimming (coughs) at that time what sort of thinking did you do around it and what sort of questions did you ask yourself about, hey, is this something that I actually want to continue on with? 
Well, I always wanted to continue on with the swimming because I did have quite a bright future, but I had to ask myself what was the most important thing. And that's something that my mum always tried to instill in me because I always had so many decisions to make because I was always such a sporty person and I always so involved in extracurricular activities. From a young age, I had to always ask myself what's the most important thing to me when I had to make these kind of decisions. And so when I got to that point and it was getting quite critical, I had to decide well, what's the most important thing to me? Is it getting to the Olympics or is it maintaining a really healthy well-being, maintaining my friendships, my family and my relationships with other people and tracking my education to set myself up for a life? And I chose my well-being and my education. Mm. How's that impacted how you approach decisions around like big life decisions now? It's definitely been beneficial. I mean, I still occasionally make the wrong decisions, but as everyone does. (laughs) But I always try and not think about what decision I could have made now. I try not to look in hindsight because at the time, the decisions that I do make for the benefit of me at that time and that is the most important thing because your mindset right then and there is the most important thing and what happens later on in the down the track is something you can deal with then and you <clears throat> will have more experience then rather than trying to dictate it at an earlier stage when you're not ready for it mm, yeah i completely agree with that there's that that interesting saying that there are no right decisions <laughs> there are only yeah. decisions and you make the the best one possible for you in that moment and then that's when the work really starts to make it the right decision after exactly. you've already made it now hannah you're obviously still uh, into swimming a little bit because <laughs> i want to have a chat with you about your recent adventure mm-hmm. swimming across fovo Strait. can you explain about how that idea came into being Sure. Well, I started back swimming when I first started at university because I needed, ironically, I needed something for my own well-being because I was getting stuck in this cycle of only being at the library and then partying and library and partying. And I needed, I needed an outlet where I could be by myself and be um, enclosed in my own mind, which some people don't really understand, but that's what's important to me and how I um, clear my brain. So I started back swimming and I decided that instead of doing something competitive and doing something solely for me, I wanted to use my swimming to make a difference somewhere else. And when I got to university, there were a lot of friends that I made and um, a lot of acquaintances that I came across that were dealing with a lot of mental health and well-being issues. And I, coming from Invercargill, which is quite an enclosed community, I couldn't believe how many people were dealing with these kind of things. And that was really big wake up call for me because no one ever talks about it in Invercargill. Um, it, we really do um, keep things on the D low and so many of my friends were struggling and then we had to become support people but with no prior experience with being that kind of support. And then unfortunately in Invercargill and in Southland we lost a number of teenage boys within a number of months suicide and also suspected suicide and then midway through my second year of uni our friend group lost um, one of our close friends 
and she suffered from depression, which is something that we all really quite were taken aback by. And that's when I decided that I needed to do something with my swimming to change mental health. And I had watched two of my previous training partners, Chloe Harris and Wayne Evans, do the FOBO straight. And I thought that it would be a perfect way to show how dedicated I am, because that's not just something you can hop in the water and go and do. It's a really dangerous piece of water. It's a really cold piece of water. You have it's a really long distance um, and you have to put in the hard yards and I was prepared to show how dedicated I was to making a change by dedicating myself to the training for it. Mm, Awesome and I mean it's really sad that all of this stuff has happened and kind of created the motivation for you to, to do it but I think as you say like I don't think it's enclosed just to Invercargill that people don't talk about this stuff and thankfully it's being talked about a lot more now in terms of your mental your mental health your mental fitness your mental wellness however you want to put it across than it was when I was at university and when I when I grew up as well so it's it's really awesome to see that change but there's still a whole heap of work that needs to be done to to do it to make it a safe place for people I agree yeah exactly very eloquent but it's awesome to see people like you doing stuff like this to help create a conversation around it and just actually normalize people talking about like because people talk about their their physical fitness and their physical health and how much they can lift in the gym or how fast they can swim or how far they can run but they don't talk about the mental challenges that they're going through or how they're training their their mental health or their mental fitness which is an important aspect of it as well so with this big challenge that you've taken on, can you have a little bit of a talk about what that piece of water is? Okay, so the Fobo Strait is the piece of water in between the South Island and Stewart Island, so it's at the bottom of New Zealand. It is basically Antarctic water that just sits in there. It has really impressively strong currents that go through, and it is generally the most dangerous piece of water in New Zealand because of the um, sea life in it, because of the strength of the currents, because of the temperature of the water, particularly because there's nothing in between it and Antarctica. So it is very, very cold. There are quite a lot of great whites that just mosey on down there. It's a very, very nice place for them to feed, which a lot of people often ask me about when I was leading into the swim, being like, oh, are you scared of sharks? And surprisingly, it wasn't even the thing that I was concerned about. I was just very blasé about it. I was like, oh, no, <laughs> I'll get out if I need to. But other than that, it's just infamous for being very, very dangerous. Yeah, it's pretty treacherous. Like when you first decided to swim the Fovo Strait, were you certain that you could do it? No, or was it, there I wasn't was a... even certain I could do it the day that I got, to, got in the water. There was no point where I was like, absolutely, yes, I can do this. Because so many things can change. The weather can change, the water can change, everything can. So, And my shoulder as well, because I had shoulder surgery in September of 2017, I've got very, very fragile shoulders from swimming previously. So that could have been something that could have stopped me from doing it as well. Mm. What did your preparation look like? Training-wise? Yeah, It was pretty intense, I have to say. I stayed in Dunedin over the summer because I wanted to continue the training that I was doing rather than going home to Invercargill, which did make it a bit harder for me. But um, the training itself was what I needed to do. I was swimming between eight and nine times a week in the water, in the pool, and in the ocean. Um, I was going to the gym to do cross-training and strength training five times a week. 
but in the pool I would be swimming minimum of 7k about eight weeks leading into it and then my longest session was 12 and a half k and I did that four times five times Mm. which is around 500 laps in a pool for people that need that kind of perspective because a lot of people don't understand how far that is. <laughs> yeah, that, it's quite a way. How long did that take you in the pool? 12 and a half took me two hours and 55 minutes with okay. like feeding breaks in between every yeah. half an hour. Yeah. How did you get yourself ready mentally for something like this? Because that is, the body's pretty amazing in that like if you put in the yards then you can prepare it for pretty much everything but it's the mind that you need to really work on yeah for sure I mean it's the swim is a perfect example of it because my I physically handled it very well my body was um, very conditioned for I trained for it so that was no worries it was my mind that was my biggest barrier and really what I had to do leading into the swim was understand that there are going to be these barriers along the way there's I'm going to feel cold I'm going to feel tired I'm going to feel frustrated with how far away land is I'm going to I'm going to feel really alone because it's a long time to swim with your head down and not really talking to anyone so I had prepared myself to have those feelings and I had a process with how I was going to deal with them which was based on my whys so why I was doing this in the first place why I really wanted to move forward and make a change why I wanted to do this for myself and who I was doing it for as well particularly the friend that we lost and um, from uni so those were the things that always kept me motivated when I was feeling really really unmotivated Mm. And with that why process was it just a conversation that you would have in your head or like what did that look like for you? Well, leading into the swim, I had a really crucial point about a month out where I was essentially told that I shouldn't even attempt it because I'm not physically conditioned enough for it. And that really hit my confidence. So I went and talked to Jason McKenzie, who works with a lot of the high profile athletes in in Chicago, and he put me through this process. And after that meeting, I went home and I wrote down my three whys on a piece of paper, on four pieces of paper, and I stuck them around my flat. So every time I woke up in the morning, I would see it. Every time I brushed my teeth, I would see it. Every time I got in my car, I'd see it. And every time I looked at my laptop, I would see it. So it was always, it was just constantly being ingrained in my mind. And when I did come to needing them, they would be right there, right at the front of my brain. So it became something that I didn't have to think about. It was just always there. Yeah, awesome. And Hannah, can you talk me through the day? What did the day look like for you? We started. We had to start pretty early because all of my support crew were, or the majority of them were from Invercargill, and there were 12 of us, 13 of us, including me. So I woke up at quarter to two to have a full feed of food, which was really, really hard because, I mean, you're normally asleep at that time, so having to eat a full breakfast, like two bowls of cereal and two pieces of toast was really hard. And then we left at two, two o'clock to get down to Bluff to get on the boat and leave. And so we left Bluffport at three o'clock to go across to Stuart Island to where I was going to start. And we arrived there a bit early. We arrived about quarter past five and I wasn't due to start until six. So we were just rolling about on the water and everyone was getting horrendously seasick, myself included. And by the time... I was starting to get ready. We had drifted so far because of the current, so we had to go all the way back. And by the time 
I was ready to get in the water. It wasn't until 20 past six. So I actually started 20 minutes later. But yeah, 20 past six, I hopped out of my IRB, which is my support boat. And I plonked in the water and I touched a rock and then I just started because there was no area on land where I could start at that in that point. Yeah. <laughs> so I started in the dark, it was pitch black and then off I went. I had a few points during the swim where I was incredibly seasick, which was the hardest part for me. Um, because I hadn't prepared that was one thing I had not prepared for. I didn't actually think I was gonna get seasick, but I did <laughs> very badly. I fed the fish at about two and a half hours into the swim and then again at about four and a half, five. And it, the water was perfect except the swell was really big. So I would go, I'd be taken up and down within two seconds and it was it was a long way up and a long way down. So that was really, really tough. But then eight hours and 43 minutes and two seconds after I started, I was running up the beach and cleared the waterline and that was the end of the swim but then I had to get back on the boat and get taken around to Bluffport where I had a wee um, surprise <laughs> um, grouping of people who were there um, at the end which is pretty cool. Awesome, yeah good that you could celebrate it afterwards. I want to talk a little bit more about the swim actually. So throwing up while you're trying to swim is obviously reasonably challenging. <laughs> How did you manage that? Yeah, well, this is where a bit of contention comes in because um, I didn't do the swim according to the purest rules. So I didn't conform, well, I didn't do all of the things that a technical um, solo swim would allow. So I wore a wetsuit and I held onto the boat. What a lot of people don't understand when I held onto the boat was because I was vomiting and I was vomiting big time. And at that point in time, I had a choice. I could decide to get pulled out because I was losing um, all of my fluid and all of my energy source, which is so important for this kind of swim because essentially an ultra marathon run. And that is, it's a long way. And if you don't have energy, you're not going to make it across. So I was losing all of that and I was sucking in salt water as just the way the motion goes um, I was sucking in salt water which is really really bad as well so I needed that support to hold on to the boat to regain myself and to be able to put myself in a position to continue the swim which was my main priority and which I did in that moment I decided to hold on to the boat to give myself that support because I needed to ask for help because I couldn't do it without them couldn't do it without that um that physical and emotional support from my team on the boats. So it's something that a lot of people criticizing me for because they marathon swimming doesn't allow that. But what I really want people to understand is that I wasn't there to get a record. I wasn't there to be recorded as an official crossing of the swim. I was there to go from coast to coast and show people that you can get through things and you do have to ask for help sometimes. And if that's not a metaphor for um, mental health and well-being I don't know what is so yeah I was thinking as you were talking I was like that's just an amazing metaphor for for life yeah. in general when, when yeah. you get in into the hard stuff and you're throwing up that you you do need a little bit of support with that I mean when you started did you were you thinking hey actually I kind of want to do this as a technical swim or it was something that I thrown the idea around I had mentioned to a few people that this was my this was something that I was going to work towards but as my training progressed I under the circumstances that I had I wasn't confident that I would be able to go 
that far in the water without a wetsuit because I the water in Dunedin is really unpredictable, particularly where I swim down at St. Clair. So it's often very unsafe for me to swim out there, and I wasn't prepared to put myself in danger. Um, and unfortunately, that meant that I might not have been able to make it across without a wetsuit, um, without being pulled out for hypothermia. And I wanted the confidence in myself and the confidence that I could make it across for these people who are following Swim, swim Straight for Life and who are invested in the process of being able to go through hard times and make it out the other side Mm. yeah yeah Yeah. i'm just remembering back to when i was at uni in dunedin and going down to to swim at st Clair and st kilda in the middle of february like so the height of new zealand summer and you can stay in the water for about five minutes because it's so cold yeah (laughs) i mean i got a lot better with it i could swim in that water for two or three hours but you know that's not equivalent to a potentially 14 hour swim no were they the like when you were throwing up on the swim were they the darkest times that you had going across they definitely were mainly because i had that feeling that i wasn't going to make it and i was going to be letting all these people down and that was the thing that really um got to me the most because i was doing it for so many other people i wasn't doing it for myself and i didn't want them to Um, have this understanding that you should give up and I didn't want to give up and I know that people would have understood had I needed to be taken out for medical reasons but I was really 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 concerned that I was going to have to get my support swimmers to finish it for me and I'd put in all this work and all this effort to build up to this event and if I had to be pulled out for that reason I would have been really really upset and that played on my mind a lot. And were there times in the swim where you kind of, your thought processes did go to, hey, maybe I'm not going to make this across? Yeah, absolutely. I had to take it each stroke at a time because I was feeling so sick. Um, it wasn't just the vomiting, it was the the constant motion sickness that I was feeling. And I had such a full belly of water because that's what fees I was taking was through water. Um, and it just, it was the worst feeling I I've never felt so ill in my life and I really just had to take each stroke as it went which is even which is probably even worse because I think over the swim I took about 14 or 15,000 strokes so I essentially counted each one of those because that was the only thing that I could divert my mind to to try and get myself through it it was awful it was absolutely awful mm. Yeah, I can't. I mean, I've run an, I've run ultra marathons before, and it's a bit like that at at times as well. Thankfully, I haven't been ingesting seawater at the same time. But it's it's like okay, I'm gonna make it the next five meters, and then I make a decision that all right, I'm gonna make it the next five meters, and I'm gonna make it the next five meters, and it's just deciding each time that I'm either going to run a little bit further or for you I'm going to take that next stroke and I'm going to keep going and it's that kind of consistent decision that you make that again is a great metaphor for life is that hey I just take that next step and and keep going yeah exactly it's really being in the present rather than thinking about the future because if I had thought about how much further I had to go I would have been out straight away you know I wouldn't have been able to make it through but being in the present and focusing on each stroke and focusing on putting one arm over at a time that is that was my saving grace. Mm. And I mean, you talked about your support team a little bit already. And I know from kind of checking out your Instagram that they were, they played a massive part for you, like 
other than the, the physical support, how did they support you through that swim? They were incredible. I mean, they were absolutely top-notch. I had this rule with everyone before I got in the water because I wanted to establish things with them to keep myself in a positive headspace and also to keep them because, I mean, it affects everyone. I had two primary rules. The first one was there always had to be a smile on people's faces. So even if you had to force yourself to smile. So every time I came up for a feed, every time I turned my head when I was breathing towards the boat, they would all be smiling. It was just the most uplifting thing, particularly when I was feeling awful, because I could see their faces and they genuinely had such a such a beam on their face. And that was one of the highlights, actually. They were always so positive. They always kept me in check in terms of keeping my head in a positive headspace when I could and trying to influence that. And then my second rule was no one's allowed to say any C words. So no one was allowed to say cold or chilly or anything like that. They had to say something like, oh, this water's invigorating or (laughs) those kind of things. Had to put a positive twist on it. And I I was actually the first one to break that. I came up for my first feed and um, my crew were on board and it was quite, it was a chilly morning. And I came up and I was like, oh, how's everyone going? Are you guys cold yet? And everyone was like, oh, honey, you swore. And I was like, ah, I just (laughs) But they were great. They really humored me. And even when I was being um, really sick, they were just, they made it a positive thing. They said, oh, my gosh, honey, giving back to the ocean. You're um, you're feeding (laughs) fish, you know. You're, You're doing something good for not only people but for the animals and things like that. And that's the kind of thing that needs to go around in your head when you're in those kind of situations. And I'm so thankful that they were there to do that. Mm, awesome. How many times did they throw up? Oh, I don't know. No one told me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My swim coach um, had a cheeky wee vomit before we got in the boat before I started the swim. And no one told me that because that would have freaked me out because she was the person that was there with me the whole time. Mm. She was the one that had to be the most attentive. But she was great once she got in the, got in the small boat. Yeah, and I think that's another interesting metaphor to use as well is that when you're supporting someone through through tough stuff it's not always easy for you either that sometimes you just need to stick your head down and and help out yeah exactly that's something that I've also found once I've been in Dunedin and being a support person for other people is that we also need support you can't just be by yourself and um, you can't take everything on and expect to be all right I mean it's going to take a toll on you and you need to have that level of support and be able to go to someone else as well if you're finding it tough mm. and that's what my support crew did when they were feeling really ill they'd swap out they'd have someone else come in um, which was amazing how has this swim changed you Hannah <laughs> a lot I mean, not only the swim, but the journey itself has been something that I honestly think most adults probably won't have learned or experienced in their lifetime and may not ever. I've grown so much as a person. I've become much more, much better at listening to people. I used to be a very good listener, but I I don't think I really fully comprehended what people were saying. But now that I've been in this situation and I've been so exposed to it, um, I can really understand how people are feeling without them saying it, which I think is a skill that so many people wish they had, but they don't. And um, it's definitely just come from experience. And I've just been so exposed to it over the past year, um, which has been amazing because people have felt comfortable to come up to me and talk to me when they feel like they don't have anyone else, even if I am a complete stranger to them. I mean, we don't have any any direct contact. So it has made me and all of my friends and my family grow. I think my mum and I have taught each other so many lessons through this as well, which 
I think is completely invaluable, you know? Having those kind of lessons, so, so important. And I'm so thankful that I've been able to um, take those on board and learn from them as well. Yeah, yeah. And this podcast is all, all about kind of strategically putting yourself in challenging situations to create the opportunities for growth. And I think, as you say, a lot of people don't get to experience something like this or kind of creating the, the opportunity for them to grow that they sit back and, and wait for that to get forced on them. But there's so much power in, in choosing something that you want to do. That is hard. And yeah. getting out there and, and being positive and proactive about it rather than waiting for something to happen to you. So hopefully you uh, you motivate a few people. Do some harder stuff. Yeah, I really hope so too. Hannah, I know that you've got to get to uni soon. But I have some <laughs> questions that I, I like to ask everyone towards the end of the conversation. The first is, what was the last uncomfortable thing that you did and how did you get through it? Yeah, I think the most uncomfortable situation I've been in since the swim was later that night, actually. I received a lot of criticism about my swim and the processes that I went through during the swim, so touching the boat and wearing a wetsuit. I was essentially called a cop-out and that I have brought shame to what how pure marathon swimming is and things like that. And I know that they weren't trying to um, directly address me as a person. It was just the way that I did it. But that was a really really challenging moment because I didn't want that's just not how it was I think they got a bit lost in the cause for my swim so I didn't want anyone to think that I was disrespecting the marathon swimming community because the struggles that I went through would have been heightened 10 times not holding on to a boat and not wearing a wetsuit so I completely respect what they did and dealing with that via social media and not having direct contact with them was the hardest thing because I couldn't explain how I was feeling and how important the cause was to me rather than being in an official um, record book so it was incredibly uncomfortable having these people say these things without me being able to respond appropriately and um, I tried to respond the best way I could and I believe I did because I had to keep in mind what my main priority was and what their main priority was and that everyone is allowed to have different opinions and um, we're all allowed to prioritize different things. Mm. So that was the hardest thing because I really wanted to lash out and say this is completely unfair, you can't say that, you're really undermining what I've just done. But they weren't trying to undermine the efforts that I put into the campaign, they were really just trying to express the fact that I hadn't done it quite the way that I should have. No, I think that the, the fact that they, you hadn't done it the way that they wanted you to do it. Yeah. rather than you should have like it's a really mature response with hey everyone has a difference of opinion and they have uh, probably the people from from that situation have misinterpreted what you were trying to achieve with it and then have kind of they're trying to some... protect their livelihoods which i completely yeah. understand yeah. because i would do exactly the same if someone was if someone had all this attention and didn't quite do it the way that it was supposed to or the way that um is generally recognized so their opinions are completely understood and i um, only have respect for them because what they do in their day-to-day -day lives doing marathon swimming by the books is so incredibly hard and i've just got full respect for them oh definitely yeah and i think it's phenomenal the people that can go and do that stuff yeah i think that 
like coming back to the mental health side of things is that you don't always know what other people's underlying motivations are or uh, even if like yourself you've told people that you don't know what other people are going through and what's important for them at the time so taking the time to ask them that yeah. rather than to form an opinion about that before you know all the facts I think is is something that's quite important and is, is good for everyone's mental health. Hannah what's the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do and why is that uncomfortable for you? I mean, it might seem trivial to some people, but um, I'm commentating a national swimming championships, the Division 2s in Dunedin next week, and I'm not a commentator. <laughs> I've only ever been a swimmer, so it's going to put me completely out of my comfort zone because it's something that I've never experienced before, and I've never been able to hear either because I've always been the one swimming. So it's going to be broadcast live on um, the live stream, and that's something that I'm not going to lie, I'm a bit... Um, nervous about I think it'd be good because you know it does put me out of my comfort zone and it does allow me to explore things that I haven't explored before yeah it sounds it sounds interesting actually have you just been sitting down and listening and watching a whole lot of old commentary yeah I have yeah Yeah, I have nice very nice just hopefully you don't come across like Justin Marshall oh no (laughs) yeah and we've, we've talked about it a little bit already but do you have any other strategies that you use to approach uncomfortable situations yeah, I do. I mean, it doesn't have a time a time constraint on it. I'll talk about it with my mum or with a few of my friends just because I like getting that perspective from other people as well. I, I really am someone with a holistic view, so I like to hear all sides of the story before I go in and say something myself. But when I don't have that, I really do just try and step back and think about things in a wider view so I don't get a magnifying glass and just focus on that situation. I think of things in a much wider sense and try and take um, experiences from different places and things like that just to try and give myself a better understanding of the situation as a whole rather than the situation as an um, individual part of my life. Nice. What's the change that you want to see in how we approach mental health here in New Zealand or changes? There are two primarily that I really want to see. Well, one as a much greater understanding. So I think we need to change our perspective on how we're approaching it. So at the moment, from my experiences, we're reacting. We're waiting until people get to a critical stage and then we're starting to help them. And I think that's completely counterintuitive. We should be preventing people from even getting to that point. We should have support and initiatives in place that allow people to have processes of coping and things like that at a much earlier stage so they can work through their really tough days so it doesn't lead into this really critical stage. And with that, I think that, I mean, once you're about... 10, 12, you kind of have behaviors ingrained in you. So you've learned how to cope with things as a younger child, and from there you merely build on it. And trying to change it at a university stage is really quite difficult, or even even at a high school stage. So we talk so much about physical health and teaching kids to go out and play and do all that kind of stuff, being active. Why don't we teach kids how to um, deal with a bit of sticky situations and uncomfortable situations when they're younger? Um, when they are impressionable and we're still implementing those behaviours into their um, into their understanding. I really think that we should be focusing at a younger age as well and working on preventative action. Mm. Yeah, the changes that I would like to see as well. Hannah, a couple of quick questions for you. 
just to tie things off but I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to have a conversation with me today it's been it's been awesome to connect with you but thank you as well for getting out there and doing stuff as well and doing real hard stuff as well and showing people that hey you can get through these tough times if you set yourself up well and not just doing it but doing it for a great cause too so I really appreciate that. First question for you, if people want to follow along or have a look at the stuff that you did and following along with the stuff that you are going to do, where's the best place for them to do that? I'm on Facebook and Instagram as Swim Straight for Life, so straight as in the body of water straight, not a straight line. Yeah, so Facebook and Instagram, and you can get in contact with me there as well. Cool, cool. I'll put some links in the the notes for the show. Hannah, do you have a challenge to leave me and the listeners with this week? Oh, yeah, um, yeah, okay. Smile at five random people along the street because a smile can change a person's day. I've never had that that challenge before, but that is an awesome one. Yeah, it makes a difference, and it'll make it'll put a smile on your face as well. Oh, it already has. Hannah, thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with me today. Thank you so much for having me. There you have it team, I hope you enjoyed that one, just massively hard challenge that Hannah has gone through and hopefully it motivates you to get out and take on something strategically uncomfortable as well, just hearing the the growth opportunities that Hannah has had during and, and since then is pretty cool. Definitely take on a challenge as well and smile at random people because you never know the effect that a smile is going to have on someone else. And smiling always makes you feel better too. So really great challenge to leave us with. Thanks as always to Jyland for making this stuff sound good. Thank you to my brother Jeremy Desmond for the amazing theme music. And thank you as always for taking the time to get uncomfortable with Hannah and I today. One, one thing that I have put together, if you want to train your resilience muscles and get better at doing hard stuff, uh, you can jump across to uncomfortableisok.com and download a, a workbook that I put together about how to build your resilience muscles. So that's uncomfortableisok.com. Uh, hopefully that, that helps you out doing hard things. But I'll see you here again on Friday. Mm-hmm.